the fuck? Slavery is back. In fact, it was never abolished. The 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution abolished slavery, except in prison. At the current rate of incarceration, by the year 2010, the majority of all African-American men between 18 and 40 will be in prison. The state as their captor. It's going to take people who are willing to fight, not people who want to negotiate with the enemy. discipline are labeled enslavement from rights to passage to stacking the raiment resporting the iron bars to gracing the pavement it's just like cavemen from the pages of myth cohabitating in darkness while we wallow in filth generations of jewels will trickle down to abyss as blood stains these prisons like the pyramid glyphs guilty or innocent agents of government treat our hoods like picking ground all sagging uniform and thugs they represent racial stereotypes our profiles will be oppressed when you witness genocide every day you get the hint that the ghettos are cold like a lab experiment as young women and men we hustle before they tend graduating from juvenile halls and up the river to the
Peace and blessing, peace and blessings. Well, I'm Kinetic Justice Amon, and welcome everybody to another episode of Live from the Plantation, where we give it to you raw, uncut, and directly hot off the press. You know what I'm saying? We got a lot of things going on on the plantation. The energy high, you know what I'm saying? People can see movement actually occurring. You know what I'm saying? A lot of stimulating thoughts are being uh, promoted around through the plantation as, you know what I'm saying, brothers are beginning to do things on a monumental level. Uh, we're taking things to to the next level. Uh, at Free Alabama Movement, we have been working uh, efforts, I'm talking about diligently day in and day out in trying to establish the infrastructure for the National Freedom Movement uh, to take all of these resources and all this energy that uh, we have at our disposal and try to begin to organize it and directing that energy uh, in a constructive method. Uh, one of the main targets that we've been focused on lately is the 13th Amendment. And tonight, you know, we're going to get a little updates on, on the struggle against uh, the 13th Amendment to, you know, remove that language from the Constitution on a national level as well as on a state level. Uh, as always, we have at our disposal, you know what I'm saying, the, the expert on the 13th Amendment, uh, our brother Max, who will join us a little later on and give us a little update on the uh, joint resolution uh, that's being presented on the national level, as well as to catch us up on some of the things on the state level, uh, as well as an uh, update on the trip uh, that he just, take, uh, he just took last week and coming to the state of Alabama and holding a demonstration uh, on uh, December the 6th uh, here in Montgomery, Alabama. So we're going to catch up on some of those things. Uh, for those of you who are keeping up with the news or who are the grapevine on the plantation, uh, after all our pushing and, and all our shoving uh, and calling out the DOJ, uh, yesterday they issued uh, an article or a press release announcing that they had filed uh, the lawsuit against the uh, state of Alabama as well as the Department of Corrections uh, for violating the Eighth Amendment of the United States Constitution. So we're going to get off into some of those things as well as uh, – some of the other little activities that we got going on uh, in the state of Alabama as well on a national level. Uh, we're linking up with uh, brothers uh, out of the state of Georgia who's calling for a million families uh, to come together on parole reform. Uh, so we're working to uh, link up the efforts that we have in the state of Alabama against uh, parole uh, situations and for parole reform. We're linking up with uh, other brothers in other states and other movements in order to nationalize this movement, you know, show unity uh, to brothers uh, throughout the country. And, you know, that's one of the things that we've been uh, pushing uh, for the last uh, two or three weeks is, you know, expressing to people that unity uh, is the solution to our problem. But unity is not just an abstract concept that you can say, okay, let's unify. Unity is something that you must diligently daily work at. You know, so you have to work to develop and maintain a unity. And, you know, the first thing that you have to do is to put your personal feelings to the side and start focusing on the principles and the goals and the objectives of your organization or your struggle. And, you know, properly align yourself uh, with allies who are struggling towards those same things. Uh, we can't let personal feelings get in the way uh, of major things right here. Or as, as the brothers on the plantation say, you can't let small things get in the way of big moves. Right here, we're on the brink of something major. When somebody, something, as my brother always say, something epic. We right here at the brink of changing the dynamics of this system. I'm saying we have the oppressor bent over a rail, and we can do as we choose right here because 
we have understood that unifying gives us the power to control our destiny. And, you know, we're just promoting that. We're promoting a lot of different things about freedom. But that's what they all feel around, us getting free. So, you know, with that being said, uh, I'm a welcome into the host queue with me tonight. I have Brother Kent uh, representing from the PLUS organization, you know what I'm saying, in the state of Mississippi. Uh, brothers have been, you know what I'm saying, steadfast in their support uh, of all the endeavors of the Free Alabama Movement. And in turn, we have uh, steadfastly been in support uh, of the mission and purpose of the PLUS organization. I definitely appreciate the brother coming on and sharing the host queue with me tonight. You know what I'm saying? As we, you know, brainstorm on some uh, possible, you know, problems and solutions that, that we encounter in this struggle. Uh, but once again, like I said, I appreciate uh, uh, the brother Kent joining me in the, in the host, too. How you doing tonight, bro? Man, I'm blessed, comrade, man. I, by the grace of the creator, man, I'm doing good, man. I'm happy to be here with you and assist you as well as uh, all of the comrades there in Alabama and everywhere else that support me. The calls in general, man. I'm here, bro. Well, it's, uh, what, I'm going to tell you something. What you had said about the unification, man, about the unity, is so is so serious, man. You know, um, in one of the um, in one of the chapters in my book, I had quoted something that uh, that uh, the Honorable Huey, Huey P. Newton had stated, and he stated that we must we must be our own liberators as the vanguard of this struggling movement. And we must always remain optimistic and convinced of the people's triumph over oppression. For the moment, one becomes pessimistic and begins mistrusting the masses they seize to remain revolutionary. And I'm going to say, man, to, to, to say that is what I tell many guys, because a lot of when I, when I when I say it or when they read it, they may not understand the uh the dynamics of that. And that's just saying the whole the whole the whole the whole essence of what they're saying is the moment you begin to think that the power of the people will not overcome any of our obstacles, any of our struggles, you lose the right to call yourself a revolutionary. Don't even call yourself a revolutionary no more if you think that when we unite, we can't overcome anything that's put in our way, bro. So, yes, yes, indeed, man. I just want to put that out there to the brother because you put that on my heart when you said what you had said. Oh, definitely, man. Unification is all we need, man, to overcome these things. Power to the people. That's real talk. That's real talk. But that, and, and, you know what I'm saying, that we have to begin to talk about unity more in depth, not just as a concept. You know what I'm saying? We, you know what I'm saying? I'm preaching. And, on, you know what I'm saying, on this plantation, I'm preaching that, you know, we got to teach by example. Uh, we can't say that the Moors and five percenters in the nation need to come together just talking. We have to actually get out and start going to these brothers' services, supporting these brothers, showing them that, you know what I'm saying, I care enough about you that I'm willing to listen to what's important to you. And, you know, these little small little gestures, you know, it build a camaraderie between brothers. And you have to begin in small groups, but you have to demonstrate what unity looks like, because a lot of these young brothers only heard about it. They never seen yeah. unity. They never They're seen right. brothers come together and work together. So, I'm you right. know, we, we definitely have to build on that. But, you know what I'm saying, we're going to keep moving along as we're going to build on unity, and we're going to catch up on all these other things. Uh, uh, Brother Ben knew, uh, 
it fell through the the platform. So I'm a, a welcoming to the host to uh, Brother Benu. Uh, it's good to have you back on, bro. What's up, man? Good to be here. Uh, can y'all hear me? Yes, sir. We hear you fine. Hello, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay, okay. Yes, sir. Um, yeah, like you were saying, so much going on just everywhere, you know. Um, parole issues becoming a, a issue that we're talking about now. Uh, we see the Department of Justice just came out with a report, uh, with their lawsuit filing their complaint against the state of Alabama. Um, another report came out today that uh, Madison County Jail is the most violent um, county jail in the country, one of the leading. I think it may have said it's the most violent county jail in the nation uh, per capita, per 100. So that would mean that the state of Alabama has one of the most violent county jails in the nation, has one of the most violent prisons in the nation, probably two or three most violent prisons in the nation, but we know for sure they have uh, one of the most violent prisons in the nation, has the most violent prison system uh, per cap per 100,000 uh, as far as murders go in the nation. Um, and the death toll, you know, in this state is, is astronomical relative to the size of the incarcerated population. Uh, a lot of times when we think about incarceration, I think people get fixated on the, the number of people in the county, I mean, in the, in the prison system, which is around 25 or so thousand. But I, I think I saw a number. There are more people in the county jails than there are in the prison system, you know, talking about 67 counties, counties like uh, Madison County, over 1,000, Birmingham, uh, a couple thousand, Mobile, you know, thousands. So, you got thousands and thousands and thousands of people in these county kind of jails and stuff. So the number is actually, you know, it's, it's a high number of people in the state uh, who are incarcerated more than just the 25,000 in the prison system. Um, that's something we're going to have to pay attention to. You know, uh, parole is very important. We saw the brother out of Atlanta, Georgia, uh, calling for a parole demonstration. So, um, you know, we got to be on point. We got to be in position moving forward to make sure – that we timely when we're making our moves, but we have to continue to stay in the forefront because make no mistake about it, you know, um, our movement is being uh, blackballed from the mainstream. Some people call it mainstream media. I call it the white stream media. But we, we're being blackballed. Our message is being blackballed. And so when you see that, you have to ask yourself why. And then when you start doing your investigation, you'll start finding out that a lot of the players in the game that are out here in the forefront, uh, competing uh, for those dollars and, you know, doing whatever they have to do for those dollars, and we know what they'll do for those dollars. Um, but they're doing their thing for them dollars, right? And so those people are receiving funding from people who are threatened by our message. Uh, there are a lot of organizations receiving a lot of funding from people who are threatened by the message of abolition, freedom fighting, uh, dismantling, defunding. And so it goes against the the uh the mainstream media um agenda uh to carry our message and carry our platform because we're talking about real change we're talking about real change in the south when you start talking about abolishing slavery you you become a you become a target for extermination in the south you know so these organizations that that are, that are afraid to carry that message um uh max and i did an interview uh, several weeks ago, and the question came, we were talking about the proper labels that people use, whether you're abolitionist, slavery abolitionist, prison slavery abolitionist, whatnot. And you'll notice that a lot of people use the label abolitionist, but they don't even say what they're trying to abolish. 
you know, what what kind of abolitionists are you? Are you trying to abolish cheeseburgers, uh, Philly cheese steaks? Uh, are you trying to abolish uh, hot dogs? Or what are you trying to abolish? Because they don't even say. And then you look at their work and you be like, damn, well, if you was an abolitionist, then you, but we make that assumption that they talking about that they are trying to abolish slavery. We don't know what they're trying to abolish. It just says abolitionist. You know what I'm saying? But the adjective is very important. Uh, to describe what type of um, abolitionist that you are. So uh, I just was, I was drawn to that um, in the midst of just going through the rank and file of some of these organizations and some of these people in these organizations. And uh, the fact that the Department of Justice has came in, you know, we know why they're here. You know, in, in 2013, nobody was talking about the prison system. In 2014, before January 1st, no one was talking about the prison system. Um, after January 1st, 2014, they've been talking about the Alabama prison system every day because men stood up and made a, a sacrifice. We put our life on the line in the heart of Dixie, in the, in the, in the, in the cotton state. We, you know, the, the, this, is, this, is the, this is the epicenter of the brutality right here in Alabama and Mississippi. You know, this is where, the, you know, world-renowned the brutality that went on down in these parts over that cotton, you know, and the sugar and the rice. And all of these things. So, um, want to make that point that there's a reason why our message is being whiteballed uh, from these media's because of what because of what we threaten. And this is not the first time that the Department of Justice has been in the state of Alabama. Immediately after the Thirteenth um, Amendment was ratified. 15 years later, up to the 1970s, late 1970s, early 1980s, the prison system was being described with the exact same terms that the prison system is being described in today. And they came up with a solution. The feds came in, and the state built more prisons, and they moved on into the, the 1920s. 50 years later was the, the end of the convict leasing system. And they were describing the conditions inside the Alabama prison system the same way that they had described them in the 1870s and 80s. So 50 years later, in the 1920s, they were described them the same way. Uh, violent, uh, inhumane, et cetera, et cetera. In the 1970s, the federal judge said that the Alabama prison system looks like, has slave-like conditions. He said it looked like it's on a slave ship. So, that was 50 years later from the 1920s. And so here we are 50 years later again. Y'all heard me give this analogy several times. It's on a 50-year cycle. Now here it is, 2020. They're describing the Alabama prison system in the same conditions again. And every time the Fed has intervened, every time the Fed has intervened, in the 1870s and 80s, the federal government intervened. In the 1920s, after convict leasing, the federal government had to intervene. In the 1970s, when Alabama prisons went into receivership, the federal government intervened. And here it is in the 2020s, 50 years later, the federal government has intervened. And every time the federal government intervenes, the same thing happens. New prisons are built, and a new cycle is put in place for another 50 years. So the governor has already said they're not backing away from building the new prison. So what's really going on here? What are we really looking at? Um, I seen a post uh, earlier. Connecticut said, "If you don't uh, know your history, read your history. You won't learn from it. You bound to repeat it." So this cycle keeps repeating itself over and over and over and over. So why are we continuing to be all excited about the fact that the feds has announced that they filing 
a lawsuit to take over the prison system. What we need to be trying to figure out is, are they going to do anything different this time? But more importantly, the question is, are we going to do anything different this time? Because we know what our people did. There's a, there's a history. There's a documented history of what we did, and we know that those actions didn't work. So we should not become guilty of committing those same acts. And there was an over-reliance on the feds to be the savior then, and there appears to be an over-reliance on the feds to be the savior now. But if you look at history, it's played out the same way every time. Because we know that when the 13th Amendment was ratified and our people started being rounded up and re-enslaved on the prison, that it committed an instantaneous overcrowding issue. Instantaneous. And the conditions of the prisons immediately deteriorated. And so they came in with the solution to build more prisons. Not to abolish slavery. Not to stop the institution of slavery. Not to prevent it from occurring again, but to make it, as Max said, put some slippers on their feet, give them a bath towel, you know, that's, that's their solution. That's their solution. And so what is our solution today? You know, we, we, we face with a heck, a heck of a challenge. It's a tall order. And so um, for us getting our message out, it's important for us to have this platform, uh, our social media platforms, concentrate our message and get it out because um, one of our brothers, he did an interview this week. And once again, you know, they, they always want to leave that name out. But there's no other name that is more responsible for the spotlight, for any change. If it's been any change at all, there's only one. You know, we, we'll, we'll, take, we'll take all the credit here. They take credit for everything we do. We'll take credit. You know what I'm saying? Whatever. But if we had not made a stand in 2014, where would we be today? What would the conditions be like? Who would be paying attention? And just look in history. Who was paying attention before then? Who was paying attention? Who was prepared to act? Because we know that the same thing is going on in every other prison system around the country. And so if all of us stand up together and highlight these issues together all at one time and agree on a solution, it's one thing to say you, you, you want to come together in unity, but you have to unify around something. You can't come together and unify around the concept of unity. Oh, we finna come together, we unify. No, people are doing that all the time. But they don't have an action plan. They don't have an issue that they're unifying around, and they don't have a plan of action to take to deal with that issue. See, that's the thing that's different that we're putting on the table right now. In our conversations we had this past week, we put a, a issue on the table, and then we put a plan of action on the table to go with it. We ain't just say, oh, we're trying to unify. We're trying to bring everybody together. We're trying to build something around it. We didn't say that. Uh-uh. That's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to come up with a unified action around the issue. That's the only thing we want to unify around. We don't want to unify around uh, uh, the basics that we have in common. That's nothing. That's nothing. We can sit on the phone and be united around that all 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But what about when the issue is put on the table? And then a call to action is put on the table with the issue. Let's unify around that. That's when the challenge comes. That's when you find out who you at the table with. And that's what we're trying to find out right now, who we at the table with. You know what I'm saying? Who ready to take action? Who ready to organize? 
who's ready to go beyond conference calls and meetings and flyers and et cetera, et cetera, and et cetera. Who's ready to take some action? Because a call to action has been made, a particular type of action. We know what the issues are. And we're going to continue to put those calls to action on the table. We don't want to just come and talk and have conference calls and do uh do some of this other stuff. That's not what we're trying to do. We're going to be tacking the system from sun up to sundown because that's the time that we're under attack from sun up to sundown. And so, having said that, to get back to my point, that's the reason why we're being blackballed by the mainstream media in the state of Alabama. And if you look, the top five people, the top five or six people reporting on conditions inside the prison system, the ones who have the largest platform, the one who all the resources are being put behind, the one everybody wants to clamor behind, all of them are white. No black people are being afforded access to those platforms. So why would they not allow Free Alabama Movement to be a part of these conversations? It's because our message threatens systemic racism and white supremacy, which they also are a part of. See, they're a part of it, too. That's why they are the ones cheering on the Department of Justice. But for, for, for African people and for black people and for poor whites lately and, and brown people, our experiences with the Department of Justice is different. The Department of Justice left us after Reconstruction and turned the, the KKK up a loose on the Department of Justice murdered Chairman Fred Hampton, murdered Martin Luther King, murdered Malcolm X, murdered our leaders, covered up for the murders of the KKK. That's our experience with the Fed. The federal government created COINTELPRO to assassinate our people. The federal government is where the crime bill was passed and being enforced from. The Department of Justice is the one that's given low-level drug dealers Life in the feds under conspiracy laws and RICO laws. That's the federal government we know. But that same federal government went into Tutwiler six years ago and found 20 years of sexual abuse, uh, sexual assaults, rapes, creating children, violating every law known to man, and not one single person was held accountable. Not one person was arrested behind 20 years of documented sexual abuse. They've come out with two more reports. The most recent report says that there's a culture of violence. The police are beating us. Uh, It's it's from the top to the bottom. No one's being arrested for it. They're not being arrested for this stuff. So what are we really uh, cheering for? What are we expecting from the DLC? And let's be reasonable and realistic about our expectations because we still have a lot of fighting left to do based on history, because history said that when the feds show up, new prisons are going to be built. That's what history said. Now, check the history books. That's not me talking. That's history talking. Check your history and see that when the feds show up, the new prisons get built, and who was held accountable? Who was held accountable for all the deaths that have occurred on the commission we've done? Who's going to be held accountable for all the COVID deaths? all the murders, all the suicide, all the drug overdoses, all the police brutality that they just found to be in existence. Who's going to be held accountable? 
who's going to be forced to resign? Who's going to put those handcuffs on and carry on that perp walk? Because if we don't see that, then we already know what we're looking at. You just need to open your eyes and get yourself ready to accept the truth about that so that you can stay on point and on code with these calls to action that are being put out. Well, we're going to have to change these things. That's what history says. History said we're going to have to be the change that we make. I yield the floor. Oh, man, there was a lot of things you said I want to touch on. But uh, first, I want to see, bro, Max, do we have uh, any callers uh, in queue? No one has raised their hand yet. If you do want to uh, speak, make sure you press 1 on your uh, pad there so that it will indicate you have something to say. True and true indeed. Uh, This is a people-oriented show. You know, we're asking people not to just listen and sit back because we're not just talking heads. Uh, this is an interactive, call. organic show. Okay, with that being said, bring them on, Max. All right, 3770, you are live from the plantation. All right, how you doing? How you doing, man? I'm uh, Mr. Kerry Harris. Uh, everybody knows about KC. I did 30 years, man, uh, um, within the walls down there in Alabama. Okay, bro. Um, I've been out, man, uh, about five years, nine, and um, I got a, a organization I started. Uh, well, we started this before I left out. It was a, a dream that we all came together, me and uh, a couple brothers, man, that was um, that's, uh, working with each other, man, building up there in the Max Camp, man, where Jefferson St. Clair. The organization uh, is Men Eliminating Negativity, men. Uh, I got out and went to Mississippi, uh, left Alabama, uh, met me a lot of good, strong brothers down there, and uh, realized that Mississippi uh, at that time was going through a lot of things, man, that we uh, ourselves uh, was uh, 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 seeing. Um I came back here uh, to Alabama and uh, saw a big need, man, here in the state, man, with a lot of guys, man, ex-offenders, man, that was uh, being released, and there was nothing for them. I mean, all the the resources that they said that was out here upon release, going through all these little shuck and jive and little program, but once you got out, you realize that, you know, if you ain't had somebody that know exactly how to do things to get you here now, or that was in with somebody that could, because you always going to have here in Alabama, that stipulation of convicted felons. You can go anywhere else. And I've seen this. I went and I got a, a correction, not correction officer, but they hired me in Louisiana uh, 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 for a correction officer. I went down to uh, Wilkinson in Mississippi and was hired as a correction officer. I did not take the job. I mean, I just went to see if I could do it, and I was hired. So that led me to come back and be an advocate strongly. We've been to the commissioner's office here in Montgomery. Um, If you want to, y'all can go on my uh, page and, and, and see I do live videos every day um, and 
when I went to the commissioner's office, I had a sit-down meeting. The commissioner wants to get a program based on my uh, uh, my organization, seeing how uh, successful I've been since I've been out. He wanted me to work with the parole board. I denied, and I turned him down, and I told him I want to abolish the parole board. The parole board is the biggest reason here in this state with this for this recidivism rate that we got. Um, like I told the commission, I said, you're locking people up for drug charges, but y'all selling drugs. You're growing drugs or marijuana on your property. You sold all your cattle and your equipment off at the cattle ranch, and you went into buying and selling marijuana. Hell, what you're locking my brothers up, and you're writing them up when you catch them with a junk or a dirty yarn, and this going to the parole board, which led them to be denied. Where's the families in? So, of course, me and the commissioner them had to break weight. Because, like I said, after 30 years, you can't tell me anything. And they weren't expecting me to have the knowledge that I had. I got a whole bunch of ex-offenders out here right now. I got them working, finding jobs. Uh, we building. We got a whole base down here, man. So don't think. <laughs> Ain't nothing moving out here. But as you know, we have to be underground. We can't, you know, I just been threatened the other day by some white, white group, uh, but like I told them, you know, we come knocking on doors. So don't, 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 don't do that. You know, I bust first. I don't play. This ain't the, this ain't the 60s. This ain't the 50s. I'm about that life. I'm about that life. Like I told the uh, uh, governor, Miss uh, uh, Ivy, K.I., you know, hey, play with somebody else home. I am serious about my brothers behind the wall because I am one that comes from back there. We coming together now and we organizing. Like I said, we pushing hard, man. Like I said, with this uh, 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 um, new thing with the Justice Department, we following up on this here. I think it's a good thing in a way. Not saying that they're going to do anything because, like you said earlier, bro, we know what the, the Justice Department is, what they do from past history. Yet, we need the light shine on them in order to get us a, a, a toe, a toehold. So now we're sitting here now at the, uh, me and a couple of ministers. Uh, I got a senator. Um, I'm waiting for the, the uh, runoff election now with him. Uh, we had a meeting uh, not too long ago. Me and uh, a couple of the brothers, we have meetings down here in Ridgecrest. Like I said, we moving, bro. We moving. We're, we're, we're out here. We're in the street, man. We, we, we're spreading the word. Everybody come, coming on. Like I said, I don't sugarcoat it, but I'm embracing anybody that has a, 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 a need or a vision to see my brothers, man, free. Like I told the commission, I'm not asking you, man, to uh, 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 parole. I'm not asking you. I'm saying I want my brothers free, man. My sister's free. I, man, listen, man. This is slavery. You understand one thing? Plain and simple, man. Alabama, the 13th Amendment itself placed my brothers behind that wall. Anybody of color, if you're doing time in the state of Alabama, you are doing 
time illegally. And that's what we think. I'm looking to try to go to the world stage and bring human rights charges. And that's what we hitting on that. It's human rights. Damn, uh, 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 what this, you got to have human rights. And with that, I step back to let y'all know. That's Pete. Bro, KC, I, I'm trying to rack my mind. Get his Facebook page. Get his Facebook page for it, though, so we yeah, can know. Yeah, I'm on the Find okay, me on the Renard. Renard, find, me, find me on, on Facebook, uh, uh, Renard Harris, man. Renard Harris? Yeah, send me up. Send me up. You'll see me on, on the blue shirt laying on top on the bed. You'll see my all my I already posts. know who it I'm is. Yeah, you okay, know. Okay, we got we, Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you that the, the, the universe, the creator made no mistakes. I'm telling you the universe is real. I'm talking about the exact same thing that we have been you know, brainstorming in the think tank about in the last few weeks about brothers on the outside, you know, organizing and coming together and, you know, being the voice uh, of the real issues of what's going on on the inside. And I tell you, every day different brothers are linking up and coming together. And I'm these are not brothers that I've reached out to or brothers that I've directly spoken to about what's going on. But there's an energy going on that that is infusing people, that's bringing people to the table, that people already know what it is that got to be done. Everybody is coming together, and everybody is starting to say that, hey, this is what got to be done, and this is what we can do. I'm I'm, I'm motivated by, you know what I'm saying, the, the, the developments of things in the last few weeks. You know what I'm saying? It's just so much that, but this brother calling, I'm saying, it, it just gave me a whole new energy and a whole new, you know, thought process uh, for the night. But I'm saying, I, I definitely appreciate you calling in, bro. And I'm talking about, I, I, I reciprocate your energy, and I, we would definitely link up uh, after the show uh, to be able to build and to be able to start networking and trying to build some type of uh, uh, alliance that we can work together with. I appreciate you calling in, bro. Uh, with that, Max, we have any other callers in queue? No, sir. No one has raised their hand by pressing one on their keypad. Okay, with that, we will keep uh, pressing on. Uh, just a few things I wanted to touch on. You know, uh, as Bruh Bindu was uh, uh, giving his rundown about, you know, some of the developments of things and giving a brief uh, historical account of the relationship uh, between the federal government and the African uh, communities throughout this country, uh, but in the South more specifically, and in the state of Alabama, a little more, even more specific. You know, our interactions uh, through our history have shown that, you know, nobody in the federal government really cares about our condition until it becomes an economical issue or, you know, an issue that we disrupt uh, the economics of our society. That's the only time they're really paying attention to what we're saying when we disrupt the uh, economics. But there's one thing I wanted to touch on as, you know what I'm saying, uh, Brother Bender was saying earlier, I had sent out an article uh, to brothers in the circle about the 1979 uh, federal takeover, uh, Alabama being the first state uh, to be taken in federal receivership, their prison system. And, you know, we have to understand that if we don't study history, we're doomed to repeat it. Uh, we need to study that process. We need to understand what that process means. Uh, we need to try to get a better understanding and, and inform others about what it means uh, for the federal government to take the prison system into receivership. Um, 
you know, we need to become knowledgeable about those things. You know, we knowledge the cipher and then we regurgitate that knowledge uh, to our brothers. But more so, while we're talking about the topic of, of, of the DOJ uh, and the lawsuit that they put out in us understanding receivership, I want us to understand that there's a big difference between what has happened in past occurrences and what is happening right now. There's an energy uh, that's alive and that's moving right now. We have a formation that actually has a voice now. The voice of the voiceless has found their voice. Those on the slave plantation are alive, and they got a message. We have a narrative in this dialogue. True, we being blackballed, and we probably always will be blackballed by what they call mainstream media or ABC, CBS, and NBC and those people. But as we have been emphasizing that free out of movement, we create our own media. We our own media team. We just have to become organized and, you know, get consistent with our message, and we have to, you know, disseminate. We have to become our own media, create mailing lists, get information out. We have to educate people about what's going on and not just educate them about what's going on, but try to get a little analytical with it and break down and, you know, help people to get a better grasp and comprehend uh, exactly what the situation is. But in dealing with the DOJ and the lawsuit, you know, that's a step uh, towards pressure. You know, we have been calling and saying that, the, you know, DOJ issued these reports, yet they had did nothing, no consequence, nobody held accountable, and so forth. And, you know, a lot of people said this lawsuit is a gesture of them uh, expecting consequences or trying to hold people accountable. I don't go for it. You know what I'm saying? It's a move they made, true. I don't see how it changes the dynamic of our struggle. Uh, people say we won, we just, no, nah, we know we're near finishing. We still got work to do. You know what I'm saying we're not letting up until the doors open, until the fences fall. We're not opening up until our brother's free. That's when we might let up, when we're free. But until then, you know, no gesture that the DOJ makes, no gesture that the ADOC makes, no gesture that any uh, correction officer makes. Nothing should deviate us from our path, from our mission. In order to abolish slavery, in order to remove this language from the Constitution, in order to remove the habitual offender, in order to correct the parole board in Alabama, in order to do all these things to make these people respect our humanity and our human rights, we're going to have to fight, and we're going to have to keep fighting. Ain't no need to come out letting up. We're not lightening up. We're tightening up. So, you know, I just want to interject that that's one dynamic that is different from other past events. And that's our knowledge and our ability to articulate that and our platform to become, you know what I'm saying, an able-bodied voice, a narrative in this dialogue of change. We are that flicker that turned into a flame that is now spread into a wildfire. So, you know, that's the tip I'm on. You know what I'm saying? I'm charged, I'm stimulated, I'm motivated, and I'm ready to go on and do what I got to do. And I'm passing this energy on everywhere I go. You know what I'm saying? It's organized, organized, organized. It's time for brothers to unify. It's time for brothers to come together. And we have to do that by example, man. I keep beating that in. We have to demonstrate through example what unity looks like. A lot of these young brothers and some of these older brothers have never really seen unity. So unity has been abstract to them. It's something that's impossible. It's not feasible. Brothers don't always have an issue. Somebody ego going to get involved in all this negativity and naysaying. 
But I'm here to demonstrate that that's a lie, that if brothers take the time and the concern and the energy, that we can get out amongst our brothers and establish some type of understanding that we can work together on, that we can express and yet show and demonstrate the importance of being unified on an issue, on how powerful that makes us. So, you know, during this little struggle we got, you know, saying so let's not get distracted with that we got some games that, you know, they bring in uh, the wrongful conviction integrity unit, you know, saying uh, they got rid of Charlie Graddick, you know. So there have been some little things that have happened in the state of Alabama that uh, a lot of people can get pumped up on and may think that we did something or we got this accomplished or et cetera, et cetera. Bro, we ain't got nowhere yet. We got a lot of we got a lot of ground to cover, a lot of more fighting to do. Don't think that we at a point now where we can let up because it ain't. It's time to stand, you know, stand fast. You know, turn up the heat. Don't let up right now, bro. We got to get there. Keep pushing it to the limit. With that, you know what I'm saying, I just wanted to add that to what uh, Brother Benu said. Uh, but I wanted, uh, Brother Benu, why we was on the top, I wanted to get your thoughts on uh, something in regards to uh, the economical blackout uh, that we've called for throughout the month of January. Um, there have been some people who have inquired me that, you know, a lot of the issues were centered around compelling the DOJ or someone to hold the DOC accountable. Uh, what would you say to a person who asks, uh, what would we be boycotting now? What would we be pushing for now? What would I be our demands now that the DOJ has uh, filed this lawsuit or made some type of gesture like this trying to hold someone accountable? Well, I would say that, um, you know, we, we can't even afford to allow nothing that they do, um, first off, to dictate our goals, you know what I'm saying? Whatever we got going on, nothing that they do um, should cause us to change or, or nothing because our work is about the particular change. And like you said, if we haven't got that change yet, then we have to stay on our course. Um, the DOJ lawsuit, it's a, it's a first off, Understand the statute that this lawsuit is being filed under. It's called the, the Civil Rights of Institutionalized Persons. Um, it's a couple of more words, and I can't remember the full name of it. But these lawsuits, first off, they only allow the DOJ to seek injunctive relief. Okay, it does not allow them to 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 um, recover any damages. They can't sue for no money. So no one who is being harmed is going to benefit from this. Um, they're limited into the type of the relief that they can they can request under the Prison Litigation Reform Act. They're limited to how long oversight can be ordered. These are just these are the, these are formalities. These are nothing but negotiating statutes. That's what these statutes are. They're basically um, negotiation statutes. And so what they're doing is they're entering into judicial litigation. Uh, to negotiate with the Alabama Department of Corrections. Um, second, the type of relief that they're requesting, they can't request that a particular law has been changed. They can put pressure on them for that, but that pressure has to come from somewhere. You know what I'm saying? We have to apply that pressure. They can put pressure on them to, you know, around that funding to force the DOC to make some changes, but that pressure has to come from somewhere. So. Look for the type of relief that's being requested, and you'll see that very few of our problems are going to be addressed by this lawsuit. It's not going to change the way that prisons are built. It's not going to change the way prisons are designed. It's not going to change nothing with medical 
it's not going to change the everyday experience of people incarcerated that makes it inhumane. It's not going to address our human rights. If you look in it, it doesn't even use the word human rights. So, I mean, we have to be um, we have to be hey, realistic about that. Yes, sir. Just want to let you know that Dennis Fibo is on the line. Okay. Let's go ahead and bring brother Dennis on, and then we'll get back to that. Cause I've been decided I've been looking forward to um, you know, conversating with brother Dennis with him sharing who he is, the work that he's doing, some of the the, the um, information that he has out there, and just asking him a few questions about. You know uh, his background, his work, what his what his uh, objectives are. So, uh, we go ahead and get Brother Dennis Fibo on. Hey Dennis Fibo, you are live from the plantation. Sound like you at the store getting you some smokes. <laughs> no doubt. Hey, peace, Brother Dennis. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Staying strong in the fight. Um, definitely glad to be on with y'all. Um, definitely trying to build. What's up, man? I, um, oh, you're working. That's it, buddy. All right. So, uh, yeah, man, we just had an event just now. We were trying to show the 13th. It's funny that I'm watching it, and now that I know more, it's kind of like, wow, you see all the gaps, you know, and uh, uh, the lack of uh, how Brother Max talks about bringing solutions. Um, but mm-hmm. that the narrative has changed a lot. And, then, you know, from before that came out, they were alluding to stuff that was going on then. And out of all the advancement that's happened now, especially after the uprisings in the summer, and because everybody's riled up, here in Jersey we've been pretty successful in trying to uh, kind of like point and make everybody focus on what we know we need to do. Um, not everybody jumped on board. We've had a lot of different people come on. And we see the spread around different states. Other people want to be active as well. So I'm I'm happy to see uh, how fast it's growing. You know, even even at ASNM, how many states we have on board. Now that it's a federal amendment, I mean, we're talking in the span of months we did all this. Um, I'm really excited, and I know because I know you guys have been fighting, and you and you're bringing the the arguments of the economics, and I haven't forgotten that. You know, it's just. On our end, and my end, it's harder to fight because I'm at the jail. I'm at the county jail. When you guys were organizing the protest, was it three years ago, 2017? Um, I tried to get uh, them the on 2016. board. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I tried getting them on board, but, you know, it's harder when you're in the county because they know they're going home. You know what I mean? So it's not as real to them. But um, in, the state, in, in the state level, like I said the last time, we're trying to work with uh, we got a powerful group, Transformative Justice Initiative. They've been doing meet up, meet them outside the gate. And we've been pushing for structural changes in programming that allow us that do the work to go inside. Like, I know I'm one of the few people that can do that, but we're trying to increase the scope of that so that we have direct access, more communication uh, for people that are on the inside, not just on the regular side, but also on the ice. Uh, over here, they just renewed the contract for 10 more years. People are still protesting and arguing right now. Um, the ICE contracts are a big deal, and it is a part of the system. Um, and we've seen it take a whole, mu- whole big, uglier form with Trump in office. I mean, Obama did contribute to it, but trying to keep the conversations together, keep everybody focused on one goal. Because if not, they turn around and people start saying, oh, this is a black or brown issue, or people turn it into race. 
they turn it into politics, and we're trying to make sure that the conversation remains neutral. Today is Human Rights Day, so we understand, you know, in law, slavery is illegal in international law in all of its forms, and that's the kind of ways that we want to start holding them accountable. The only thing we're missing is structures to do so, but the laws around it exist, and um, it is on us in the community to try to assist in creating the structures and the procedures that allow us to hold them to account. A lot of our people are ignorant to the legislative and legal processes. So it's really hard to hold these conversations. Right. Um, but I think the more we keep holding education, people start learning. I think it becomes easier. Like you were just saying, like the vocabulary is there now. You know, the, the intent right. different because it's being spoken about more. And I'm, I'm really excited to see how this will continue to evolve because I do believe that a post-slavery America will exist. I believe that wholeheartedly. Right. And I'm, then, I'm also um, trying to prepare myself in heart and mind of what that's going to look like. Okay. Um, I just want to um, ch- uh, jump in right there. There's a couple of things. I had a couple of preliminary questions I wanted to ask you, but you said something that I guess we'll go ahead. I'm going to get you to answer that first, and then I want to jump back to the preliminaries because I want to, like, get people to understand where you're based at, uh, the work that you've done, how you got involved, um, you know, who are you? I know. Like, I talked about abolitionists, like, what type of abolitionists are you? I know what networks you're part of and stuff. But you said you said that you wanted to try to remain neutral. You wanted to remain race neutral, not to become a black issue, a brown issue, a white issue. Um, and I want to put that beside something that Ice Cube said when he was pushing the, the contract with black America. He said that the experience of black people in this country has been different from all other people. And that as black people, when you start talking about addressing issues, that there has to be some redress for black people on the side. And the institution of slavery definitely is, I think, the most impactful experience that uh, black people have had since we've been here. And ours has been continuous. Some people are just now starting to feel it. You know, some people mm-hmm. are just now starting to feel it because of economic issues or because of, of immigration, because there are so many brown people over here. But black people have been here from the beginning, and this has been our, been our issue. And we really, when we're talking about this issue, we're not even talking about the same thing. Most people are talking about something that they're just now experiencing. We're talking about something that we have been experiencing since we've been here. So when you say you want to keep it neutral, um, for for black people, and I'm speaking for myself, but I'm just speaking for the overall issue, it's not something that's neutral to us. There are specific parts of this issue that have been meted out particularly against black people. And I think that as black people, we have to highlight that in order for our people to be properly educated. And when we come to the table with other people, I think that we have to be able to explain that, and then people should be, you know, uh, receptive to understanding that there is a component of race in this problem uh, specific to black people that we feel like has to be, be spoken on. So can you just speak to to the rounding off of those, those Yeah, points? absolutely. I, I would say more like, and I was, I was funny, I was having a conversation about this the other day. When we're talking, we know what we're talking about. But when we go to the table, right, and this is for, and this is if we're going legislative, we're going to that side, the system. There's certain key words and terms that the moment you start talking, either completely eclipse the message, right? So when you start getting into conversations, and I'll say even if you do it with black people and you put a bunch of black people in a room, now you got to get specific and define what that means and who is being targeted because there's a whole bunch, a whole plethora of black cultures within the black community. Right. We also have oppressed communities and second-class citizens in the territories who still can't vote, who still get sent to war, 
So what I don't like is that we get into struggle Olympics. I suffered or we suffered more than you suffered when it is not an absolute reality. Yes, it does impact people of color, especially the darker you are, the more um, you're apt to, you know, to be grabbed by such system. But when we're talking about organizing and putting a message together, if we center it around race, it's only going to go so far because that was the point of race. That was why they invented it. We didn't invent it. They did. And for us to use their building blocks in order to organize our community and our message, we are shooting ourselves in the foot. When we're in behind closed doors, we could talk about what we know we could talk about. But when we're generating a message, it has to be clear. The abolishing slavery also impacts, I don't care what color you are, there's also white people in the system who are slaves. So if we want to address slavery... As a, as a concept of its own, then it has to be neutralized so that as many people can jump on it as possible. When we talk about racial justice, while it is tied to slavery, again, you know, there's so many components to slavery as economics that I could argue so many other populations are being affected by. Because I could also say that no population suffered the most than Native Americans, right? So I don't want, I don't like, that's why I don't, that's why I say the neutrality of it. Because then when we start talking about the specifics of it, we start to go in circles while it is understood for us behind closed doors. In public, it doesn't appear that way. And I know that because as much as I've organized, the moment race comes to the table, everything falls apart. So that's what I meant by it. It's not to ignore that race doesn't. Of course, the numbers don't lie. The numbers are evident, right? So uh, to me, that's kind of clear. That's already a given unless you're completely ignorant to the statistics of the system. Then, then we can start talking, all right, how do we remedy this? Because in their mind, they're keeping such system the way they wanted it to be when they lost that war, right? So is it, it's based on race to them, right? And, it, again, if we fall into that conversation, it's their building block, not theirs. We don't get to define our blackness. They do. Okay, okay. Well, I mean, I just wanted, to, um, I just wanted you to speak on that because that's a conversation that you, you know we all hear this from time to time. And so it's good to get different people to share their perspective. So I just wanted to hear yours. You know, you have yours. I have mine. I'm sure other people have theirs. And uh, we welcome everyone if you want to come in or chime on. But just just having that on the books, okay, we're good. So let's go back. Um, tell us, who is Dennis Tebow? Like, how did you get involved in this? Where Have you been previously incarcerated? What has been your personal experience uh, with, the, with the system? How, how did you get to the point where you become an abolitionist? And what kind of abolitionist are you? Yeah, I think it was more my life experience. My father was an addict. You know, he was incarcerated here and there. I myself was lucky to to learn from his mistakes and not go that route. Um, He was an addict. He took his own life in 08. Um, When I started, uh, when I went to to school, I got my master's. I went to the University of Buffalo. Uh, I started studying heavy in the Puerto Rican history just because I'm Puerto Rican. And one of the statistics I learned in class was that 75% uh, baby boomer Puerto Rican men were either dead or in jail or on drugs. And that really, as a young person, really struck me in my heart because my father was. And that made me think, so that means every other youth my age who's Puerto Rican was probably going through the same bullshit I was going through. And I started to think, I've lived on the island. I've known so many, my whole family, I mean, so many beautiful people. How is it on earth 75% of us are locked up or dead? How is that possible? And then from then I understood it was systemic. 
I understood that the, the situation that I grew up in and the hardships that I had as a child and a teenager came from these systemic pressures, and my father succumbed to them. By the time I ended up in my professional career, I realized that if I had knowledge, the best place to apply my knowledge was to the people who needed it the most. And because I had so many brush uh, run-ins with the law enforcement, and I've been arrested. I've never did time. I did the most. I did was like 10 days, but I've been jumped. I've been put fake charges. I've been sexually abused by a cop, right? So I understood that side of it. But then when I got into the history of it, and then when I started working, basically I wrote a curriculum because I felt watching people coming in and out of the system that if you don't give somebody their sense of self-identity and self-worth, even if you give them resources, they won't take advantage. So I felt like let's, let me focus on helping people gain a sense of self-empowerment, self-identity, truth in your history, how your mind and how your body works, how do, you, how do your emotions work, what is emotional and relationship intelligence, what is community, family, and economy? And these are the kind of conversations I have with the men and the women behind bars. I've been doing it for eight years. I also work with the juveniles, uh, working a lot with juvenile justice reform, uh, where I built my company to basically be the, the provider that assists with the juvenile detention alternative. So instead of the kids going to jail, they come to us and we work with them and try to keep them out. Been doing that for seven years, running a couple of grants with the county, um, and then it started, once I got to my own realization that the 13th Amendment was it, Ava DuVernay came out with a documentary, and I thought that that was a, a good uh, conversation started to run group with the men and the women here in Hudson County Corrections. Um, and during, after we showed that documentary is when we all decided that we were going to do something about the 13th Amendment. So I wrote a proposal. I brought it back to everyone. I read it in front of everyone. Um, they said they all agreed. I had them all sign, and we submitted it to the Legislative Black Caucus of New Jersey. Uh, Angela McKnight and Senator Rice took it on, and they wrote the bills, and we've been campaigning ever since. I didn't really consider myself an, as identity an abolitionist. It was just more the work that needed to get done. I didn't really, I don't, I'm not a person that necessarily cares about labels. I care about the work. You can call me whatever you want. But at the end of the day, I just do the work. I'm a warrior, and that's what I'm here for. However I can do it, I'm going to do it. Um, as of now, I understand what, how the structure, even more, especially after all this work and all the reading and research and building with everyone, that we understand the truth to this code, and, and now there's no other way for me to see it. Um, and the more I dig, it's, like, it's such a big beast of a system, and it has so many components it's really sometimes difficult to figure out where we're going to plant our feet in the fight. But with slavery, that was it for me. You know what I mean? Because I said, look, out of all the things, man, I could sit here and try to argue for the humanity of criminals, and then somebody would turn around and say, well, then they didn't see the humanity of the people that they affected. And it's always politicized. They always shut the argument down, and our people continuously get written off and viewed off as something that's not human. So my goal was how do I get them to acknowledge humanity? So I started using my curriculum and challenging them. And that's when I started learning. They didn't know who they were. So I can't have a conversation with you if I don't know who I am and you don't know who you are. So we're going to sit down and have discussions and who are we really speaking to who? <laughs> you know what I mean? So then I started saying, all yeah. right, the solution is going to have to probably be I ain't never heard it put that way. <laughs> to define it. Get them to define it. I said, because they can't define it. So if they want to base their whole structure on supremacy, then I need you to identify what whiteness is. And, again, if we're going to 
go back and forth about the constructs and the ones that they created versus the ones that already existed for us, right? And we have a lot to hold on to. We have a lot that we can claim. And it's funny, somebody's mentioned, all right, we, but we're disconnected. I was like, but you can connect. But you can connect. One of the, the, the declarations of human rights says you have the right to a nationality and you have the right to change it. Identity is always meant to be fluid. You have your feet on this planet Earth. And no matter where you walk, it's home. That is your right as a human being. But we get caught up in the intricacies of such systems that are super archaic, that are based on colonialist principles and manifest destiny. So how can we have a proper fight not standing on the proper ground? Right? And here, the proper fight is we need to remove any loopholes to the propertization of the body and dehumanization of the body in the courtroom. Because once we do that, now we have the ground okay. to stand on. Now we can talk about reform. Okay. Um, okay, well, let me ask you this then. Um, your vision, okay, you, you started the Amend the 13th Movement. Um, if you can just update us on what just transpired in the most recent election cycle with what you all were proposing or how that turned out. And then success, what is your vision once this um, 13th Amendment uh, is abolished, uh, the slavery provision is is, is removed from the state of New Jersey and then ultimately from the United States. What does that look like compared to what we have today? Tell us what the what the vision is moving forward, how you expect to see this evolve, and what is the end going to look like for people? Because people are hearing the conversation, and there are people like people are some people are critical of the movement. Some people are saying, "Oh, it's just going to remove the language." Oh, but the practice is going to continue on. Uh, yada yada yada. Mm-hmm. So give us your the, what update on the Thirteenth Amendment, and then what does success look like? What, how do you envision it, and how will your vision of change look uh, moving forward within what we, as opposed to what we currently see? Amen. So the Amendment Thirteenth bills uh, passed Senate committee. We had a legislative public hearing maybe about almost two months ago, uh, where we all called in. Nobody in opposition. We are still in assembly committee. And we're putting pressure on these three, basically three white dudes, to to put this for vote, which I think is absurd, you know, and, and a little bit demeaning. But whatever, we got to do. This is the system. We got to do what we got to do. So we're pushing on them. Um, once this passes, it would actually go on the ballot in New Jersey for November of 2021. Once voted, now this is what happened with California, because this is why people, I mean, with Colorado is it passed, three years have gone by, and nothing's happened, right? Because there was no no post-strategy. Um, they were the first state, so let's give them credit um, that they, you know, they, they needed the entire knowledge base and resources in order to make a legal push. But our strategy, as is happening organically in Colorado with five incarcerated community members suing Court Civic and Geo Group um, to, for slavery, if they set the precedent in law, we have an argument in case that every state could use uh, when it comes to the legal push per state. Now, if we put them on notice just with the lawsuit alone, I'm assuming they might even want, want to try to settle. They want to work some kind of deal out or and on the legal side that we push all the way that now remedy must be instituted because that's the purpose of law. When, is, when you're being violated, the purpose of law is to get you remedy. What is the remedy? Right, and here the remedy is like how much money is dumped into the justice system, from policing to prosecution to judges to defenders to forensics to detectives to SWAT to uh, any of the reentry programs which are now blown up. 
halfway houses, parole, probation, all those people who usually make up about 85 to 90 percent, especially here in Jersey, of the city budget. So we all work, bust our ass, pay taxes, and they use the money to beat our ass and then lock us up. So here we're talking about a restructuring of the economy. And if we're able and we're successful with the vision of abolishing slavery, it is going to create a restructuring, a mandatory restructuring of economy that I would predict would take about five years to transition, right? And what does that transition look like? Um, And again, this is where our part of the conversation and my part of this fight is to try to educate and encourage enough people to start holding these discussions beforehand. We don't want a bunch of brothers and sisters coming home with nothing to offer. You know what I mean? We want brothers and sisters to come home and be whole and have the things that they need so they don't go back in those buildings. What does that look like? How much money does it cost? How much effort? How many bodies do we need? How many educators? How many licensed therapists? Like, we need an actual plan. What I've learned is that government, as an idea, is really people, and it's usually four or five people inside of a department. They're in an office trying to make decisions with some man or some woman with their knee on their neck, not completely invested into the concept, don't necessarily care or are affected by it, right? And so if we leave it to them to make the decisions for us, we're always going to be in the situations that we're in. But if we can assist in the creation of structures, economy, organization, culture, counterculture to what's being put towards us, and we start becoming a bit more independent, I'm saying this as a Puerto Rican, because we have the same fight on the island. We're, if we understood that with all the resources that the island has, if we were independent, we could sustain ourselves. We don't got to deal with nobody's shit. But because they have their boots so down, be down our throats, there's nothing that we can do. Jones Act makes it, we have the double the poverty rate of Mississippi without the right to vote. So how do I help structure my island and my people? My grandparents live there. They're affected by this. And I know it's the same struggle because they always viewed us the same. If you look at any documents dealing with Puerto Ricans, they called us Negroids. Any documents dealing with Puerto Ricans coming into the mainland talked about an increase of the black population. I'm not about to sit down with nobody to discuss the difference between black and brown. I know my history. We can sit here and discuss black and brown, and all they got to do is walk up to the both of us and call us niggas, right? Again, where do we That's going to set off a war. That's true. That's uh that definitely will set out. Like, well, I tell you what, um, you're listening live from the plantation. Uh, we have Dennis Sebo from Men and Thirteen Movement out of New Jersey, uh, talking with us tonight. Appreciate him sharing his time. Um, we're gonna go for a short break, give everybody a chance, kind of catch their breath, uh, digest some of the information. Hopefully, uh, brother Dennis can hang on, come back on on the other side of the break, so he can share some of his contact information and tell you about where some of his material and stuff can be found at. And uh, we're going to let Brother Kinetic, if he has a couple of questions. If not, the floor will be open. Uh, we'll be we'll plead, uh, uh, grateful to accommodate uh, Brother Dennis Thibault as long as he can be on. You're listening live from the plantation. We'll be back on the other side of the break. I'm being all we want. If you sitting on the plantation, if you on, if you hit, if you hear at Parchment or any one of the rest of the camps, you hear at any of the rest of one of the camps throughout the state, whether it's Mississippi, whether it's Alabama, whether it's California, I don't give a damn if it's Afghanistan. If you sitting in one of them uh one of them prisons, one of them plantations, and you're not doing everything in your power, in your reach to get on down, then you messed up. There's something wrong. 
You need to correct yourself. You need to check yourself. You feel what I'm saying? And if your loved one, if you are an individual on the outside that's constantly assisting the individual that's on the inside that ain't doing anything to get out, but at the same time, constantly telling you, well, I need help with this here, I need help with that there, but they're not doing everything in their power to get out, then you just messed up as they are. Just being all we want. You see what I'm saying? So uh, I made that post, man. I made, I'm, I'm, make, I'm making this live right here strictly for that particular person right there. You know, for those that's on the inside, if you know, if, if, if you are sitting on the inside, you see what the administration is doing to you. You see how the administration is feeding you. As, uh, as well as you see the the, uh, the, uh, the way that the system is set up. You see the laws and everything that's going on. You in prison. Just, just plain and simple. You're, you're in prison. You know what's going on. You know what you're being, you know how you're being uh, 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 treated. Nobody has to tell you these things here. If you got an individual such as myself, such as me and any of the rest of my comrades that come with me, uh, if you see us reach up, reach our hands out to you, trying to uh, get assistance on what's going on over here or what's going on over there, and you don't reach your hand out, then what the hell is you? I mean, what's up, man? I mean, man, I don't understand it. We might as well go ahead and put y'all remember the guy um from Life Hopping Bob that they gave the shotgun to and told dude about the gun line, and he was, man, you might as well be hopping Bob or some damn body. You feel what I'm saying? We might as well go ahead and just give you a pistol. Give you a uh, give you a shotgun to keep us from uh, going across the gun line. You feel what I'm saying? Because you're not assisting us on getting freedom. You see what I'm saying? You'd rather sit your sit there on your ass, smoke your cigarettes, or smoke your weed, or smoke your spice, and eat you a zuzu and a wham wham like everything is all cuckoo. And you know what I'm saying? This ain't this ain't what it is, man. Just being all the way 100. This is not what it is, man. Ain't nothing cool. Ain't nothing nice. Ain't nothing friendly about being in a, in a slave. Just being all the way 100. So if you think it's cool to be a slave, if you think it's nice to be a slave, then, you know, hey, just, you know, just let it be known. But uh, uh, if you are one of the individuals that's sitting on the inside, that's sitting on the inside, and you see one of the comrades that's a part of one of these organizations. We got many organizations that's out there that's pushing and trying to do what they can. They lose they lose time, they lose money, they lose energy. They use a whole they lose a whole lot of stuff trying to help individuals on the inside to get out. You see what I'm saying? So if you're on the inside and you ain't doing nothing to assist them, then you messed up, bro. I'm being all the way real, you need to be kicking your ass. All the way one hundred. You need to be kicking your ass. You feel what I'm saying? So uh, I'm making this post. I'm making it. I'm doing this live right here because I, I'm, I'm, I'm really reaching out to those that say that they're leaders on the inside of these walls. Just real, real talk. If you say that you are a leader on the inside of these things, if you have any form of influence, then yo, then what you should be doing is using that influence to get the hell out. All right. Not trying to use, utilize your uh, your powers. Your influence, your uh, whatever the case may be, not trying to utilize that to get comfortable on the plantation. Oh man, bouncing back on this side alive from the plantation. I'm saying, uh, I just want to, you know, follow up on some of the things that. Uh, that Brother Kent was expressing, you know, in the, in the little uh, clips from the break. 
You know what I'm saying? That's so true. I'm saying it's so real. Everything he said is right and exact. I'm talking about 100 that, you know what I'm saying, me personally, uh, I have a list, you know what I'm saying, that I deal with my, my finances as well as my time. And, you know, it's two sides. You know what I'm saying? One is that contributes towards getting out of prison, and one is that contributes to being comfortable while I'm in prison. Or, you know, what we call surviving and making sure I got the basic necessities and all this. But I divide my time up and be honest with myself. You know, the thing, are these things that I'm doing, I'm putting this energy in, does it contribute to me getting out of prison or does it contribute to me just being comfortable in prison? Because there's a lot of brothers on the plantation that are unconscious to the fact that they've accepted this as their reality and therefore they've developed a, a false or a pseudo reality that they live in where, you know, they get the pack. You know what I'm saying? They got a a hitter. You know, they, they, they can move. They can make things happen. You know what I'm saying? They got a little influence. You know, what we call they got a little power on the plantation. And with that, that's sufficient for them. You know, they cool with that. You know what I'm saying? I just got to maintain this status quo. And they put a lot of effort, a lot of time, and a lot of energy into putting on an image of being somebody on the plantation when they could have used that same time, effort, and energy towards getting out and would have been a whole lot closer to being back with their family and loved ones. But we blind, you know what I'm saying? We deaf, dumb, and blind to a lot of realities. You know, pain then caused us to retract into ourselves that we look for, you know, myth and so forth to bring peace instead of dealing with the reality of being a slave. The reality that, you know, I've been stripped from my family, from my community, from everything. That's a painful reality to have to deal with day in and day out. And a lot of people choose not to deal with it and get off, and like I said, into myth and, you know, illusions and fairy tales and, you know, the false popularity, the false praise that comes on the plantation with have, having, you know, a few more soups and cookies than the next person got, you know. And, and the sad part about it is a lot of our loved ones, <clears throat> the women that, you know, commit themselves to us, our mothers and our, you know, brothers and so forth, you know, they enable us, you know, to continue to be comfortable on the plantation because they're not requiring anything of us. They're not demanding that we put in some time and effort and energy towards getting free. They're not conditioning, you know, saying that, hey, man, you got to be fighting to try to get free. If you want me to be fighting to help you get free or helping to take care of you, you know, if I'm contributing to you financially or time, whatever, toward the whole mission is you getting out, right? That's the whole mission of everybody on the plantation. It's supposed to be your goal and objective to get off the plantation, to get out. Every loved one on the outside that contributes to your, you know, well-being, whether it be mentally, spiritually, through letter writing or sending money or whatever, their goal is helping you get out, right? So, you know, we're not trying to be comfortable. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, loved ones, you might need to ask yourself, you know what I'm saying, am I requiring that my loved one put forth effort to get here in order for me to put forth the work and effort I'm putting in? You know what I'm saying? We got, to, we got to hold each other to some higher standards on the inside and on the outside. We got to realize that we slaves, that somebody else controls our life, our destiny. Somebody is economically exploiting us and our loved ones. They're financially benefiting from our misery. We understand these truths. 
<clears throat> so, you know, with that, we can either take a left or a right at the fork of the road. And that's how you do with the truth. You know what I'm saying? You can accept it, respect it, and do what you got to do to correct it. Or you can get, you can deny that it exists and lie and get off into, you know, the foolishness, the falsehoods, and everything else. But that ain't going to get you out of your situation. We got to confront this, you know, head on head. The truth is the truth. You know, what you doing on the plantation? Does it contribute to you getting off the plantation? Or does it contribute to you, you know, being comfortable, uh, laid in, and being trapped on the plantation? And, you know, when we start being honest with ourselves and, the, you know, determine uh, what it is that we're doing for real, am I really trying to get out of prison or am I just talking about getting out of prison? You know, because you got some brothers on the plantation, they talk about freedom. But watch them. None of their actions correspond to somebody who's trying to get free. You know what I'm saying? A lot of people tell you they, they gangsters and, and, you know, real niggas and all that. They can talk the talk. But sometimes their actions don't, you know, don't reflect, don't add up to that. So hey, brother, do you want to be free? And do your actions reflect that? And for the loved ones. Do you want your loved one to be free? And do your actions reflect that? Or are you enabling them and pacifying them uh, to sit down and to suffer humbly in the condition of slavery? But, yeah, I ain't going to get too long with it, but I just want after listening to, to the brother Bill, I just had to, you know, add on to that because that's a real reality that we're dealing with. It's hard to get brothers to commit to being a part of the struggle when they really don't uh, appreciate the fact that there's something to struggle against. You know, knowledge is power. You know what I'm saying? When you use it and apply it properly, it's real power. So, you know, with that, you know what I'm saying, loved ones on the outside, you know what I'm saying, evaluate yourself and your response. Brothers on the on the plantation, evaluate yourself and your response. And with that, I yield. You still got uh, Dennis Feeble on the line, and we got a caller. Okay, let's go ahead and um, get Dennis to uh, give us some of his contact information and um, to let people know how they can get out in contact, with, how they can support what you're doing, uh, what kind of assistance you might need, and um, just how they can find you. All right, family. Um, <clears throat> again, I'm Dennis Febo. Uh, we're at Amanda 13th in New Jersey on Facebook, Amanda 13th NJ on Instagram, any of the social media is all Amanda 13th NJ. Um, you can also go through abolishslavery.us and fill out contact information form, no matter what state you're in. If you want to learn how we're doing it here in Jersey, you want to get your state going, give us a holler, don't be afraid. Um, I'm at 917, that's my business number, 727-3326, 917 Seven two seven three three two six. If you want to build, um, and we'll be here, family. We need help with pushing our legislators, and then once that's done, we need help educating the masses um, and registering people to vote because this is going to be a ballot question. So we're going to need voter participation um, in order to get this measure passed. And that'll be it, family. Appreciate y'all. Peace, Devin. We appreciate. We appreciate you taking time to come on, man. Obviously, you know clearly you're very busy. Uh, putting in the work So we appreciate you coming in And sharing some of your time with us We hope you can hang around in the event Somebody has some questions for you We don't know But if there are some callers on And you want to press one You heard something you want to comment on You have a question to comment Or something you weren't clear about Go ahead and press one uh, We do have one caller on We can go ahead and bring you on now 
4724, you are live from the plantation. Hi, this is Amira. Um, I just want to go off of what Kinetic has said about the mothers, wives, friends, sisters pushing for the change of y'all locked down. Like, it's so very true. We got to expect or have higher expectations for y'all to want to come home and make the changes within, uh, you know, within oneself. You know, we we do have to, you know, push for that. We can't just be out here and, you know, saying we want you home and we want y'all to come out. We we, we got to, you know, out here. Oh, I'm sorry, I got sidetracked. We have to um, push for that. So any of the mothers, fathers, sons, brothers who have someone locked out, push for that change, support that change, and don't just send the money, don't just write the letters, you know what I'm saying? That All of that is needed, but you got to help set them up to come out here. And when they come out here, you have to support those changes because it's not easy, you know what I'm saying? Don't just expect them to come out here and be ready. Don't just expect anybody to come out here and be prepared, you know what I'm saying? So, look, Kinetic was right about everything that he said about um, putting pressure on. So well said, Kinetic. That's all I have to say. Thanks a lot, Committee. Did you want to respond to that? No, nah, not really. I just, uh, you know, just want to reiterate the same thing that you know. Um, there's so much influence that uh, these girlfriends, these wives, uh, these children, uh, so much influence that they have over, uh, you know, the decision-making process of their loved ones. If they would just express themselves to them. Uh, you know what I'm saying, how hard it is for them to to maintain without their loved one then how much they need them to fight or to do what's necessary, link up with people, you know, whatever's necessary to get home. Uh, you know, to stress the importance of it because, you know, it's just my experience that there's so many people who are so nonchalant um, about, you know what I'm saying, getting home. And I guess it appears to them that uh, their loved ones are nonchalant about them getting home, that I guess everybody's just uh, – accepted the reality that uh, prison is where it's going to be. So for the next 10, 15 years, i make sure you got something on your book. You know, i send you a card every now and then. Uh, you know, we praying for you. Stay strong. And, you know, take that, that route there to dealing with this instead of, you know, digging in, organizing our resources and, you know, finding out ways to fight, you know what I'm saying, finding out ways to facilitate uh, the quest to get home. You know what I'm saying? It's got to be a coordinated uh, effort. You know what I'm saying? Uh, the loved ones and the people on the inside. You know, <clears throat> for years that uh, we we've learned that you know, saying a lot of things that our people on the outside would love to to do, they just don't know how to do. You know what I'm saying? They want to help, they just don't know how to help. And a lot of brothers on the plantation are not as serious with their situation, so they're not learning uh, about their situations to the point that they can express it, articulate it to their family and their loved ones about. What the, what the problem is and what we need to do about it and ways to address it. it you know, it's an inside-outside thing, uh, not just in organizing in the movement, but in individual uh, struggles to be free. We have to organize our resources, our family members and loved ones, and we have to hold each other accountable. You know what I'm saying? We got a goal. We got a mission. You know what I'm saying? It ain't a game. Life real. Our life is on the line. Every day counts. So, you know, we have to get serious. Uh, with our relationships, you know, holding each other accountable about, you know, saying what I need you to do. I need you to be my feet. I need you to be this. I need you to be that. 
you know, and Flip, you know what I'm saying, I need you to be actually working towards getting here. I need you to be trying to strategize and come up with ways to, to get home quicker. It's a joint effort from the inside out, you know what I'm saying. You know, so I just want to salute Brother Kent for, uh, you know, keying in on that point because that's something that really needs to be discussed. Uh, it's just like uh, building a nation. You know, it starts at, at one household. You know what I'm saying? You have to have an organized and, and, and governable household before you can have an organized and governable community and so forth as it leads up to forming a nation. So it starts on the individual level. Uh, you know what I'm saying? We organize our resources on an individual level and then come together and do it on a collective level. Then, you know, all is well. You know what I'm saying? We manifest. Uh, with that in our year, with that, bro. You know. Okay. I'm going to uh, read something from... Um uh, Manning Marable's book, How Capitalism Underdeveloped Black America. That's uh, something I spoke about uh, just a few moments ago. Um, give me just a second. Let me put it up. Right Talking about the Alabama prison system. Um, it's page 113 in the section entitled Black Prison. It says, the general conditions in southern penitentiaries were, of course, scandalous, or at least should have been. The major prison in Virginia in 1900 was actually designed by Thomas Jefferson in 1797. The decayed penitentiary was so overcrowded, according to one Richmond newspaper editor, that the feet of inmates tended to stick out the windows. Alabama's prisons in the 1880s were packed with several times the number of convicts they could reasonably hold. Even that state's prison inspectors admitted that their penitentiaries are filthy as a rule, and both prisons and prisoners were infested with vermin. The convicts were excessively and sometimes cruelly punished and were poorly clothed and fed. Okay, that's the same thing the DOJ report just said um, this year in, in June. And that report was issued in 1880. And we just heard the same thing being said in 1920, I mean, in 2020. And the only thing that all of these things have in common is that this is the prison system that was created by the 13th Amendment to the United States Constitution. So this law, in, in, in no matter how, how many different ways you look at it, it has a practical application, which is why you can't just change the law. Just changing the law does not solve the problems. And so that's what we have to have. We have to have a plan in place to actually address the the, 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 the uh, consequences of the law and the place where the law is being enforced. All of this stuff needs to be done away with. You know, everything needs to be just dismantled. And you know what I'm saying? We need to just, everybody needs to take a break and figure out what's to move forward because what they have, it has never worked. And it has always worked just like it's working right now. That's our job. It is not their job. It is not their job to stop this. It is our job. Like you said, the, the people on the inside, we have a role to play. Our family members have a role to play. Our supporters and people right there on the outside, everyone has a role to play. You know. But for those of us on the inside, we can hold each other accountable. That's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to make sure that we're building this thing brick by brick, piece by piece, so that what has happened in the past don't happen again. We can't afford to allow these people to come in and simply build 
three new prisons because that's that's their formula. That has been their formula. That has been their formula since they first um, enacted the 13th Amendment to the United States Constitution to make prisons the department of the government that will manage the institution of slavery. We just saw this week in Alabama, a report came out. A news article came out showing that the Department of Transportation was leasing labor from Red Eagle on account for guys to go and clean up trash and do work on the sides of the road. The Department of Justice was paying the DOC $50 per person per day. The DOC was paying those guys $2 per day to do this work. The other money, all profit went into the pockets and the coffers of the state. And so this is convict leasing all over again, never has stopped. We're still dealing with it. We can't keep doing that. We can complain about what the legislators did. We can complain about Cam War. We can complain about Charlie Graddick. We can complain about the fact that only two people, that article said that only two people have been granted parole in a minimum security prison. All of these people work in the freeway every day. We saw the same thing with Kamala Harris with the firefighter program. We keep seeing it over and over and over and over and over. The question is, when are we going to stop that part of it and see the impact that that part of it will have on the parole board part, the legislative part, the judicial part, because all of it is predicated on us continuing to answer that work call, mail call, and stow draw and snack line. That's what it's all predicated on. They are betting that we're going to continue to answer work call, mail call. All these billions of dollars that you see invested in these prison systems around the country are betting on, gambling on, will we answer work call, mail call? Will we go to store draw? Will we go to snack line? Will we purchase incentive packages? Will we pick up that collect phone call? Will we pay JPay and access secures video visitation? Will we keep turning over our money? Because as long as we're going to continue to do that, none of the other stuff is going to change. In fact, you can predict. If you if you just go back and look at the information that I shared tonight about the prison system in the 1860s and 70s and 80s, 50 years later in, in the 1920s, 50 years later in the 1970s, 50 years later in the 2020s, and a politician just recently said in Alabama that they'll be set for the next 50 years when these three new prisons are built. They even know that they're on a 50-year cycle, half a century. That's how far they're planning ahead. We're planning for for Saturday for the football game. They're planning a whole half a century ahead with their prison. We're planning for the next uh, slick pick tickets to come out. We have a hard time planning week to week. They're planning for the next half century on this prison thing. They're betting on us answering work call, mail call, store draw, video visitation, incentive packages, shoe packages for the next 50 years. They say we're going to do it. Kinetic Justice said that we have to do 30-day economic boycott of all those companies and show them that we'll take control and put you out of business. That's what the call is about. It's about sending a message. It's about empowering the people. It's about getting family members outside to understand what role they're playing in keeping the system alive. Stop sending your money. Stop accepting the collect phone calls. Stop 
paying for the uh, incentive package. Stop for a whole month, and then let's come back to the table and figure out what do we need to do next. Do we need to extend it? How much further do we need to go until we get the change that we're looking for? Because as far as I know, word call, mail call was answered this morning. And we have a copy of the invoice. We have a copy of the invoice from that labor that was done in the Department of Correction. And we just found out today they did test in that Bill County over about uh, uh, a quarter of the population we know for sure refused to uh, take the test. Another, They found 100 positives in Bill County. They just reported it today. We also know they underreported the deaths. We've been commenting on it. We just haven't been putting all the information out there. COVID-19 is running wild inside the Alabama prison system, and we still answering work call, mail call, store draw. And y'all think about this. I'm going to say this right here, and we're going to flip back over to Connecticut just so he can talk a little bit more about third-day economic boycott. When this COVID um, pandemic first started making its way into the prison system, we all know you used to catch hell trying to get to the snack line. You couldn't hardly catch snack line. They're opening once a week. When the pandemic hit, the snack line started opening every day, two, three times a day. You can go to the snack line and spend as much as you want. They needed the funding because a lot of the jobs couldn't go out to work. A lot of the work release facilities couldn't go out to work. They turned the snack line and the store into the cash cow. Now you can spend. When the, incentive pack, when, when the stimulus checks came into the prison, what they do immediately come with a new winter package. They need that money. They need that money to continue to exist. This is how they exist. And our complicity is how we allow them to continue to exist. We literally have the power to wipe them out from existence in this system. That's our role. Dennis Fibo came on and told you what his role is. He's doing his part. Now we're going to let Connecticut Justice tell us what our role is, what our party is moving forward. Peace, peace. Uh, it's just it's something I wanna I wanna touch on real quick, and that is the fact that um, there was something monumental in that article that uh, Bennett was just talking about. Um, the article that was dealing with uh, the the men at Red Eagle, and you know being paid two dollars a day, uh, while the state was getting forty eight. Uh, kickback off of it. Uh, that article was monumental in there. These were some uh, some white guys uh, that the article was focused on. And the article uh, subtitle was We Are Slaves. And, you know, I, I could be wrong, but uh, I believe it's the first time that I've ever seen uh, in print where some white people said that they were slaves. And I don't want us to miss the significance of that, especially in a state like Alabama, that, you know, it's gotten to the point that, you know what I'm saying, that white people feel like they're slaves and identify as being slaves uh, when they're a part of this Alabama Department of Correction. That the message that we have been promoting and, you know, putting out and educating people about this being an institution, a continuation of the slave system, that, you know, that we are the slaves, that that message is beginning to resonate uh, with people across, you know what I'm saying, ethnic lines now. You know, it used to be a time that, you know, the word slave offended uh, 
all white people to the point that they didn't want to talk about it. They didn't want it to be brought up around them because they felt uncomfortable. Uh, but it's a time now where, you know, they're beginning to identify that this system treats uh, them as less than human uh, when they're convicted of a crime. So, you know, they just emphasize the, the work that has to be done uh, on the 13th Amendment uh, on a national level as well as uh, the way that these plantations are ran on a state level. <clears throat> which leads me uh, to uh, a recap of, of what led to, you know what I'm saying, the call for a 30-day economical blackout of the entire Alabama Department of Corrections. Um, I'll, I'll give it just a brief uh, rehash of how this it came about. Um, throughout uh, a few discussions about uh, Ice Cube's contract with Black America, uh, and Sean Combs, uh, the black party, uh, the new political party for black people with black issues and a black agenda. Um, but they both emphasize uh, our economical uh, power and, you know, the power that we exerted economically, which ties right into, you know, the tactics and uh, so forth that we uh, promote at Free Alabama Movement, you know, boycotts, labor strikes. And it seems like uh, at, the, at that juncture of the conversation, and the things that were going on within the Alabama prison system uh, on a continuous basis, that it was necessary that uh, we make a bold and profound statement uh, to the legislators of this state, uh, to the government of this state, and to the administration of this country, uh, that the black men in Alabama have stood up. The prophecy is being manifested. The Honorable Elijah Muhammad said over 60 years ago that when the black man in Alabama stand up, the rest of the world going to stand up. And I truly believe that this is that era, this is that juncture. And with the proper education and the proper effort and time that we can demonstrate a real unity of actually coming together on one accord with a platform that's already laid out that addresses these issues as crimes against humanity, that emphasizes that the slave is the only one who can break the slave system. The slaves have to stand up. It's time that we, as brothers on the plantation and our family members, understand our economical contribution to our oppression. We have become unconsciously co-conspirators of the white supremacy that oppresses us by financing our own oppression through all these programs that, you know, they institute on these plantations that we have to spend all our money with these little corporations and so forth, these uh, family-oriented, you know what I'm saying, uh, subsidiaries that are exploiting us. Securus, you know what I'm saying, they, if you follow them, you do the history on Securus through, you know, the prison legal news has been, you know, tracking them and their efforts to do away with contact visits and to bring in their video technology. Uh, for the past couple of years, I know that I've been aware of. And from the beginning, and it is an exception, I told people what was about to happen, that they was going to, you know, come in with their little contract to lower the rate of the phones and et cetera, et cetera, but the agenda was to ease in their video technology as they continue to spend billions of dollars to lobbyists to 
to do away with contact visits uh, under, you know, shell company names that they push to do away uh, with contact visits, make longer sentences and so forth, because it's economical to them. Union supply, you know, they capitalize, you know, off of our being here incarcerated. We can only buy our necessities from them. It's time that we understand that it's these people who keep propping this system up with their economics, and it's us that keeps propping them up with our economics. So we have to cut it off, man. Let's send a message that, you know, housing human beings, warehousing human beings is no longer profitable. It's no longer an asset. It's a liability. We must become a liability to the prison profiteers. We must stop generating money for these people. It's the lifeline. It's the blood that courses through this system. And if we want the DOC to be dismantled, we want the DOC to crumble, then by all means, we got to understand that if you stop the flow of the blood, the body dies. If we cut off the money, if we economically black these people out, this system shrivels and dies. So, man, you know, we pushing continuously for brothers to come together, organize, and understand the power of our labor. Understand the power that we have in simply not going to work. We are the lifeline that run these institutions, man. Stop being your own oppressor because we are financing this system, man. Let's, let's put the knowledge to work. Let's stop being knowledgeable that this is slavery and that we contributing to our own slavery and not taking our medicine and not doing anything to rectify or to correct that situation. We have the power to change our situation. We can control our destiny. Yes, sir, you Brother Matt. Do you have a caller? Uh, please. Please, by all means, bring them on. 1032, you are live from the plantation. 1032, you may be on mute. 1032. If the last four digits of your number are 1032, you live with the same plantation. Y'all can put me back on mute. This is Swift just now. I was just tuning in. What's up, Swift? Man, I can't call it, man. I'm just glad I could tune in. I've just been on some interviews and stuff, trying to handle some some odds and ends things on this end, man. But I tuned in late, man. I just appreciate y'all having me on. Well, but by all means, well, give us an update on, on some of the efforts being that, that are being taken. I see you had did an interview with uh, Montgomery Advertiser in regards to uh, the lawsuit filed by uh, the Department of Justice. What, what's going on? What is the media saying? What are people saying? What's the feedback? Well, from what I've, what I've noticed, you know, I've seen a lot of feeds, at least publishing uh, on mainstream media and here in Alabama as well as on the nation, and that's a good thing. But one of the things that you know, of course, you know just as well as anybody else on the inside is the mainstream media in Alabama has been reluctant to actually cover anything dealing with the Department of Corrections and, and, and our plight that we have in, in this fight. So, but, you know, I, they're starting to take a little bit more notice, and, and I guess it's better late than never. But uh, recently I had actually called out a few uh, journalists about them being reluctant to actually uh, cover these things, especially dealing with the Free Alabama Movement, and the movement has gone on across the nation. You know, you see very little bit of... Uh, journalism on that aspect. Hey, 
We still pushing. You already know what the deal is. We're going to keep pushing. No doubt. No doubt. But, well, you know, I appreciate the efforts that uh, brothers on that end are making and, you know, you know, staying involved and engaged in the struggle. Because, you know, we all we I got. Ask we you all just a, I want to ask you just as a question. Um, Brother Twitter, we talked about that, and uh, we talked about how the uh, the media in Alabama is, is, is blackballing free Alabama movements on their press. And I brought up the fact that the top five or six journalists with the largest platform uh, are white journalists in the state of Alabama. So from your conversations with these people on the side and the fact that they don't want to, 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 to make the name for Alabama movement, they don't even want to mention the name. They don't want it on the platform because of what you represent. But also, uh, I'm saying that is because I'm messing with the threat to them too because of their competitors. But what has been your feeling and what has been the conversation and what have been the feedback that you have received uh, when you come out of the black ball up and I'm moving from the platform? You know, when it comes to that right there, uh, son, it, 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 it's obvious. Don't know, but no, especially white people in Alabama, they don't want to even admit that slavery exists. And you know that is our, that is that is what our rhetoric is: it, it is abolishing slavery in society. And nobody wants to even admit that slavery exists. They don't want to call you a slave. They don't want to call me a slave. They damn sure don't want to call their white sons no slaves because they don't even feel like it exists. So you know they stay on the sugar coating of you know inmate, 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 inmate. This, and you know I think that's a big ordeal inside of the inside of uh, the media in Alabama being prominently white, man, you're looking at, we don't want to address the problem that happens into not only the social status quo, but especially in the racial racial diversity of what's going on in the outside of the Department of Corrections and the judicial uh, diversity that, that's received on it. Don't nobody want to admit to this, man. You know good and well just as well as I do. They're still holding on to the slave mentality in Alabama, and they're not going to want to do anything but continue putting us in a cotton field. Hey, I appreciate it. I just wanted to, want to hear your feedback because I know you still communicate with them uh, to a degree. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to see what your thoughts was and what you heard. And that's, that's basically the same thing we're saying. Uh, these people don't want to be realistic about the problem. They don't want to talk about the real problem because of what it says about them, because of the entanglements that they are involved in from a, from a financial perspective. It's a lot of people with money who finance some of these uh, talking heads that we see uh, here in Alabama. And if you follow the money, you'll find out that these people are invested on the other side. They profit prison profiteers, they slavers, uh, they human traffickers, yada, yada, yada. So um, we're going to close with that. We're running out of time. It's been hey, another Benu. great show. We appreciate it. Yes, sir. you right. It's only a few minutes left. Did you still want me to mention what happened with the joint resolution? I was just going to turn it over to you. I was going to turn it over to you, as always, and let you go ahead and close us out, and you can tell everybody about the event, uh, the Abolish Slavery Alabama event that uh, you all came down and participated in with us here uh, about the turnout. Um, We told a couple people, a few state representatives turned up. Uh, The message did make it to the state capitol, which is where the the, the law will have to be changed at. So uh, just let everybody know what's going on and that we are making progress in that. December 6th was just the start. It was not the, 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 the finish. It was the start. Turn it over to you, Max, and you can go ahead and close us out. 
All right, no doubt. December 2nd, what happened on a state level is a joint resolution was issued by Senator Merkley out of Oregon, as well as co-sponsored by Senator Clay and several others, and still climbing, that would effectively create the 28th Amendment, saying neither slavery nor involuntary servitude may be imposed as a punishment for a crime. This is a federal joint resolution issued from House uh House Joint Resolution 104 and Senate Joint Resolution 81. It's real. We never thought we would even see it in our lifetime. We're just preparing the next generation to get to this point, but we're here now, and we're going to work it. On a state level, we had a conversation with the Committee for Constitutional Reform in Alabama, and we uh, were lucky because of Amendment 4 allows them to remove racist language from the state constitution. We saw that that uh, amendment had passed, and then we had a conversation with the group that was in charge of it and pointed out to them that the the exception clause in Article 1, Section 32 of the Alabama State Constitution allowed for slavery, and they agreed to take it out. So in uh, 2022, Alabama gets to vote to end slavery in their state for the first time in history. Uh, Those are the two updates that occurred, and oh, and we went to Alabama on the 6th for the 155th anniversary of the ratification of the 13th Amendment and had a live rally there, which was uh, well-received both online and off. Uh, we had legislators there who were going to talk to Senator Chambliss as well as Troy Stubbs, Commissioner Stubbs, about the conversation they had on air telling everybody what they were going to do with the money that was going to be made by building prisons. So they'll be confronted on that in the next week or so. Uh, And we also had media that did several interviews and uh, we felt pretty good knowing we were coming into Alabama, having already set the stage to end slavery in that state. And I want to thank brother Benu for coming up with this idea to make this thing happen without him. It would have never occurred. Benu. All right. Well, I appreciate it, Mac. Thanks a lot for the update. Uh, we're going to go ahead and close out. If you want to reach out to Free Alabama Movement, you can reach out to us at freealabamamovement at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at Free Ala Movement. That's Free ALA Movement. Um, we're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're on the ground here on these plantations. You can come to any plantation on any given day, throw up a sign, make some noise, uh, throw a protest, uh, block the entrance block the exit, uh, whatever you want to do. We'll be right here supporting you uh, on these plantations. If you want to if you want to dig some tunnels, uh, go right ahead, whatever. We're we down with it all. We're we serious about freedom, as Malcolm said, by any means necessary. Peace. Thanks again for joining us. We'll be back again next Thursday night, 7 o'clock Central Standard Time. We are live from the plantation. This is just a moment dedicated to my mother, Grandmother, my father, all my niggas in the pen, all my niggas that died in the struggle. Love y'all. Can we please have a moment of silence? That's for my niggas doing years of confinement and for my soldiers that passed over, no longer living, that couldn't run. Whenever the reaper came to get them, can we please pour out some liquor? Symbolizing this, take your time and to consider that. Though our thugs ain't here, the love is here. And we gon' rep, steal, slug, kill us here. This for my dogs and 
stuck in this struggle, trying to gain, smoking trauma, sniffing rhyme, while selling cocaine, trapped in a game, not knowing how to stop and get by, to live it alive, so instead they live it to die, and can we please have a moment of peace? For every G that fell for a slag in the street, blood in the thugging, poking and loking, gripping and creeping, Latin the kinging, or just for poor right to teach. As they come to nightfall, for the rest of our lives we'll miss y'all. And even though life must go on, we still mourn while wishing y'all were home. As they come to nightfall, for the rest of our lives we'll miss y'all. And even though life must go on, we still mourn while we for brothers who die from black on black violence From here to the dark continent with rebel cell diamonds The clients all through the world got little black girls dying And can we please pour some more liquor? For Will, Mokeen, Bar, Pappy, my niggas, here's another warrior song from Nasty and Kwan. It's to him I pass the baton to carry the song. Streets disciples, salute to those who gone with bullets. And I promise to rhyme and Kwan, I rep this life to the fullest. And can we please have a moment of truth? For soldiers and troops away with helmets and boots And families back home that pray they make it home safe Hoping they don't get hit by a stray Your missiles, this is just a moment To let y'all all know that we miss you Mommy, I'm still here Wishing I was there with you Let's take a moment For the rest of our lives we'll miss y'all And even though life must go on We still mourn while wishing y'all were home As they come in nightfall the rest of our lives will miss y'all And even though life must go on We still mourn while wishing y'all were home And can we please have a moment to mourn For Pac, Biggie, and Punk is to us They live on Jim, Master J, Freaky Ty, and Aaliyah Big L and Left Eye When we die, we hope to see you Can we please have a moment for children Who got raped and murdered or Trapped in this system Who never knew their father Never learned his dream But was got about drug dealers Killers and crack fiends For single mothers that's forced to play Mom and dad busting the ass To give a kid shit she never had For my niggas in the pen Hoping rhymes and get them signed So when released They can say bye to a life of crime For every mother that held a son In the street bleeding Crying the song of sorrow Too dark and deep for speaking Just a moment outside the day-to-day struggle To let the ones we really care about Know that we Love of photographs of lost memories On the blocks with blunts and Hennessy Pictures of niggas in mock neck shirts Valentine L and brown bags Brothers like to brag about their cousins That's locked in the system We all fall victim We all call Christian or Islamic faith To restore all our faith Barbed wire and tall brick wall But we all can escape the nightfall For the rest of our lives we'll miss y'all And even though life must go Dedicate this out here to all the streets, all everybody in the hood, getting caught up in drama, shooting a nigga, going to jail for nothing, getting killed for nothing, gotta avoid that stuff. To my baby brother Tex, you know you was Lil Dex, nigga, in the feds. Big bro holding it down for you, boy. Just come home. 
love you, my nigga. I do this for you and me. When I shine, you shine. The most important to my sister Tia. Out there in Iraq. Just know that we got the baby. My nephew is gonna be fine. Put my life and my blood on that. We love y'all.